welcome you to episode 7 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight into others working or worked in the case of some of my future guests in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the 2nd and 4th Thursday of each month. I enjoyed a great history lesson recording this episode. That history lesson provided by a true gentleman who comes with 60 years of experience in the transportation industry, the last 40 of which were in removals. He comes with a fine pedigree of very proud achievements within the British Association of Removers too. That gentleman is none other than David Bunting. Enjoy. Good morning, David. Welcome to Moving Matters. How are you today? Uh, Good morning, Colin. I'm very well indeed, thank you, as I trust you are. I am indeed. David, you were mentioned by Gary Whedon of D. Sully & Son and Nigel Shaw of Specialised Movers, both previous guests of the podcast who hold you in very high regard. So with that, I just had to approach you as a guest of Moving Matters. So I sincerely thank you for giving up your time today to record this episode with me. You have a long and established career within the removal industry. Can you tell everyone a little about yourself and the length of time in this industry? Uh, I can indeed, Colin. In fact, if you look at the industry generally, um, I've been in an industry, which is a transport industry, for for 60 years, would you believe, which is a heck of a long time. But in the removal industry, uh, a little bit less than that. Actually, that that kicked off in... um, in 1983, as far as pure removals are concerned, and that was in the specialist branch of removals in commercial moving, not domestic moving. So that's my background. I'm knocking on a little bit now. I was born in 1943 in Preston, had an education at Preston Grammar School, and started my first ever job at the age of 16 as a traffic clerk sticking labels on envelopes that I thought at the time was a pretty important job, but uh, I subsequently discovered that I'd got it because nobody else wanted to do it. So that was my So hold on, a, a traffic clerk? Traffic clerk. You put labels on envelopes? Yeah. Well, somebody had to do it, you see, because things had to be sent out every day regarding traffic movements from all the different branches of, of what was then Pickford's Heavy Haulage to all the other branches, and then you pick up on what the vehicles were moving, were doing and moving from and to throughout the United Kingdom. And then if it was, there was an opportunity to use one of those vehicles for backloading purposes, you could then do it and reduce uh, dead time and dead running. Gotcha. If that makes sense. But, <clears throat> you know, we're talking of days here prior to computers, computers and everything was sort of Pony Express. <laughs> not pigeons <laughs> not quite no there are pigeons around but uh, we shot those <laughs> <laughs> so you were a traffic clerk where did you progress from there well i progressed to being the traffic manager after about four years when the manager of the depot uh, was promoted and my immediate boss who was the traffic clerk um, was promoted to manager so I moved up a grade to being the actual traffic manager and that really was operating a fleet of uh, six vehicles throughout the United Kingdom uh, that was my branch in Preston but the number one customer was it was then known as English Electric a name that might be familiar with you it became British Aerospace and and then whatever whatever it is now But in those days, they used to make diesel engines. And those diesel engines went into locomotives, both in the United Kingdom and abroad. So I was very heavily involved in providing low loaders, as they were then, to transport these diesel engines that would weigh up to about 25 tonnes to all the different places within the UK that put them into the shells, the carcasses, turn them into diesel locomotives that ran on railways. Other things were happening as well at the same time, of course. It wasn't just 
locomotives, it was plant and machinery, boilers, transformers, um, anything big and heavy that required shifting via specialist transport throughout the UK. And you were still at a very young age when you became the manager? Um, I was at the age of well, 20, 21, yes. That's true. It wasn't a large branch. There were far larger branches than mine, certainly Manchester, Glasgow and in London, because these were the hotbeds of heavy industry at that time. Uh, Sadly, it doesn't happen anymore. They've all disappeared, gone abroad, and we don't make anything of ourselves anymore. We buy it in from abroad. So it's tragic, really, the, the way things have changed in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And where did you progress from there? Promotions led me to Liverpool, Newcastle, Derby, and then Sheffield. Derby was my first full managerial appointment uh, in terms of managing the the whole branch. And then that led to a promotion in Sheffield, which was a a big centre for heavy industry, as you can well imagine, based on Sheffield Steel. Uh, And in those days, I was involved in uh, moving some huge plant, um, most notably uh, heavy stuff that was manufactured in Germany and brought to the United Kingdom for machining. And from there, it was sent down to London for installation in the Thames Barrier Project, which is at the, virtually the mouth of the Thames. Uh, and uh, at various times of the year, when there's a flood tide or whatever, they press a button the barrier goes up and prevents London from flooding. So I suppose I had a a very, very small part in preventing our capital city from going underwater. I'm sure it was a a much bigger part than that, David. I'm sure it was. (laughs) But they were were not not happy down on on any credited list, I'm afraid, but uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Then after that, uh, because things were changing in heavy haulage, not just in in the industry, but also with the company itself. Uh, There was a need to, in my view, get out. I didn't like what was happening. I didn't like the management structure. I didn't like the culture. I didn't like what what was happening. It wasn't in accordance with my own principles. So I decided to get out after 20 years with them, which is rather sad, but I felt it was necessary. And I joined a company in Preston uh, that was also involved in heavy haulage and crane hire and I stayed with them for three years. Now I enjoyed that stint, it was good, but it was frustrating in that the company was run by and owned by a couple of brothers and I could see that I wasn't going to make any progress, uh, that there's no opportunity for me to take over any particular division or department because they were in charge of it. So uh, recognizing that um, it was a dead end job I started to look around for something different. Uh, I picked up a copy of the then, I think it was Motor Transport, and saw an advert in that paper for a manager for the then Giltsborough Bullens Transport Services to manage a depot for them in Newtonley Willows, which is on Merseyside and quite close to St Helens. So I applied for the job and remarkably got it. The man who interviewed me was an ex-Pickford's guy, Pickford's removals guy. Uh, so he understood where I'd been with Pickford's heavy haulage. He understood, you know, the, the Pickford's name. And uh, I got the job back in 1983. The, the position was becoming created because my, uh, or the fellow who was in charge of the depot then, was moving down to London to head office to head up a, a particular division. So that created the vacancy for me to take over that particular uh, position in Newton Willows. So that's when it all started off. So I was moving from an environment of shifting heavy plant, uh, most notably the, the heaviest piece, by the way, that I was involved in, weighed 2,000 tons. When you think wow. of 2,000 tons against moving desks, chairs, filing cabinets, and computers, there's a big difference. But I picked up the skills, I think, fairly quickly. And um, that was the start of my involvement with. Um, the removal industry as we know it now. So going back to the heavy haulage, as you call it, with Pickfords. Yeah. 
That was purely heavy haulage. It wasn't commercial removals. It wasn't domestic removals. It wasn't shipping. Just purely large objects needed to be transported from A to B. Correct, yeah. It also involved um, shifting the stuff, not just on the wheels, but uh, manually because it was machine handling and, and, um, I suppose you would call it, once you'd offloaded a a big piece from a, a low loader or... A big transporter it then needed edging into final position so you'd have crews of men that had the tackle to be able to do those finishing off type of operations there was also crane hire involved but nothing big in those days the biggest crane that pickford's had uh, would lift 25 tons but later on other companies came into the business and they were capable of lifting pieces that weighed a thousand tons so you could see how that particular wow. part of the industry had progressed. And those cranes were manufactured abroad. Once again, we missed our way as um, British engineers, and we were buying equipment in from Germany to be able to do what we should have been able to do. Um, but again, rather sad, but it was the way things were going. So at Giltsburg Bullens, yeah. when you became the manager, yes, that's when you first then got involved in the whole domestic commercial shipping that side of the removal yeah, industry yeah but not not domestic Colin because the let's just retrace the steps somewhat when I joined um, Bullens or as it was then called Gilts for Bullens Transport Services they were owned by Grand Met Grand Metropolitan Hotels which is a strange sort of bedfellow to be with but they then sold them on uh, sold uh, Gilts for Bullens Transport Services on to Unigate and Unigate then decided that were not a really good fit for the business because Unigate were really dairy people and they sold the business on to Wincanton, who were a transport company. Uh, we didn't fit well with Wincanton because they liked long-term arrangements and Bullens was very much involved in day-to-day type operations and they then sold them on to Pickford's. <laughs> so uh, that's when um, I, I the, the the closer involvement with removals, and specifically commercial removals, was coming in, into uh, into being. Although Bullens, Skills for Bullens Transport Services, had been specialists in business moving as opposed to domestic moving, so I was very comfortable with that particular type of moving and um, and got into it very quickly. Um, so much so that after a couple of years, I was given additional responsibility of finding a manager for and running under my belt a Glasgow operation. And then, as I suppose I'd made a bit of an impression in in that area, I was also given one of the London operations to look after as well. So apart from running my own operation in, in the the north of England, I was also having control of Glasgow and uh, an operation in London. So uh, that continued for quite some time. From 1983, when you were at Giltsburg Bullens, yeah, that prompted your involvement with the BAR. Correct. Yes, that's right. Uh, that interesting situation that because I hadn't been in the job long, possibly only a matter of months, when I started to get invitations from um, I don't know who they came from. I think from from head office to associate myself with area meetings that were held by the British Association of Removers. Uh, So I phoned up my then boss, a guy called Aubrey Appleton. I think you will have heard that name before from Gary Weaver. Definitely. Uh, And a great guy, absolutely great guy. Aubrey was the sort of fellow who would say, David, jump. And you didn't say, why? You said, how high, Aubrey? (laughs) There are not many people that I've come across in my many years that I would have done that for. But Aubrey was that sort of uh, sort of guy. So I phoned him up and said, Aubrey, I've got this letter here about going to an area meeting of the British Association for Removers. What's it all about? So he told me a little bit. He said, David, I recommend that you go. It will not do you any harm whatsoever in your career. And you'll meet an awful lot of good people and you'll learn a lot more about the removal industry and certainly the commercial moving industry. And so I went to my first meeting, which was held in Manchester. There must have been 50 removers there, both domestic and commercial. And uh, that was my first introduction to that 
that business area. Excellent. Well, we'll come back to the BAR a little bit later, uh, but I just wanted to touch on it there because I see that you started going to the area meetings in 83. Mm. So you're now area manager, Giltsburg Bullins. Yeah. And then you leave and go where? I left to, um, let's get this right chronologically, because I was with Bullins for quite some time. Um, but they they were taken over by Pickfords, and Pickfords had a peculiar way in those days, a peculiar way of working, which I wasn't particularly com- comfortable with, and certainly not the culture. And because of those culture changes and the way things were going, uh, I decided to uh, to do something different, and I joined a company based in Preston, which happened to be my hometown who were looking for somebody who would develop their office of commercial business. And that's what I did. I joined Whittle Movers back in January of 1996 and uh, started an office of commercial division for them, uh, which had no knowledge about whatsoever. But given my background with Gillespie Bullens and with Pickfords, I did know something about it and I welcomed that opportunity to get involved, really, to be able to put into practice what I thought I could offer. Because when you're with a a large outfit, you're very much constrained by their own ideas and um, cultures and what you should do and what you shouldn't do, which was rather frustrating at times. And therefore, I had a a chance to do my own thing um, and to put into place what I thought was right for the business and right for success and that's when it all kicked off really uh, as me being me with with uh, Whittle Movers based in Preston. And you build that up to a considerable size and, and as you say success uh, I, I see Whittle Movers one commercial mover of the year. Yes indeed they did and um, I'm very proud of the fact that they, they achieved that objective you weren't judging at the time, though, were you, David? Uh, I just need uh, to get that in. It's not, uh, you'll, you'll upset Nigel if he knows that you were the judge. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I have a great relationship with Nigel. Uh, <laughs> he's, a, he's a real character in the in the, in the industry. He's um, yeah, he's, he's a good friend of mine. Has been for a, for a long time. Well, what, what can I say about that? No, I, I was a, I was a judge for the competition. That's when did that kick off? It kicked off around about 1998, the judging bit. But uh, I suppose we're jumping ahead a little bit there, aren't we? Yeah, we'll come back to that yeah, one because I have a question that, yeah. on on your judging. But um, so yeah, Whittle, Whittles, you, you grew their commercial side in because I remember coming to Whittles once or twice and bumped into you at, at Whittles offices at the time. You grew that to a considerable size. So to, to start from nothing and build a commercial division, yeah, was some undertaking. You know, I really relished that as well, Colin, because it it was a, a an opportunity that really appealed to me. When I joined on day one, 15th of January 1996, all I had with Whittles was an office, a desk, a chair, a phone, a car, and a brain. And they wanted me to start an office of commercial division for them. They'd no idea what was involved in it. They'd done a bit of office commercial, but purely on a reactive basis. If somebody had phoned up and said, uh, would you come and do a little office move for us? They would do that, but they'd no idea how, how to develop it from there. I had that background with um, Bullens, and I was therefore um, able to put into place what I thought was right for the Whittle business to progress. So as I say, that kicked off in 1996. Within two years, I'd made such an impression, they said, that they offered me a directorship. Uh, So I was very pleased about that. Those early days, uh, I had an awful lot of support from them because they knew nothing about commercial moving. I knew a lot about it from my Bullens days. So I was able to put into practice what I thought was going to be successful. And it was successful because... Uh, I had that um, directorship with the business after two years, and it then just grew and grew. It grew from a turnover of absolutely nothing 
until 12 years later when I was retiring, 2008, it became a business with a turnover of £3 million, operating not just out of Preston, but out of the Midlands and out of London as well. So I was very proud, I think, and I think rightly so, of what had been achieved within a relatively short period of time. How do you go about doing something like that? Because, I mean, most removals will say, yes, 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 I do office and commercial removals. But to me, if I said, can you move my company, for example, that's not, to me, an office and commercial move. That's just an office relocation. An office and commercial move is more, you know, you've got multiple floors in a big office and yeah. you've got hundreds of desks and, you know, you'll be working probably through the evenings or at weekends, uh, not necessarily during the week, but you're just, you know, shuffling desks and filing cabinets all over the place. That, to me, is a proper office and commercial, unless I've got that completely wrong, but that's how I see it. No, that's so right. how, how, did, how did you go about, you know, because as you say, they had some experience of office moves, but not in the scale that you would have got them to start doing. Well, obviously, I, I had some contacts from my Bullens days. I had some contacts. So when I joined, when I joined Whittles, uh, I had some contacts who followed me. That was a little bit um, scary and hairy at the time because I wasn't sure who was going to stay with the original business of Bullens or follow me into the Whittle group. A lot of people followed me into the Whittle group because I think the reputation had formed and um, it, it gave me a bit of a kickstart in, in, that, in that business. So I had an idea where to start looking for my business leads and to, uh, to build up the business with them. So what challenges have you had to overcome in the industry? Oh, crumbs. Um... When you're making your way with a brand new division, you've got a lot of competitors around who are determined to make sure that, or if so far as possible, that you, you're not really successful because you're treading on toes. But I was equally determined to be successful because I think I thought I knew what I needed to do to to make a make my way in that particular business. So uh, because of the contacts that I had from from my Bullens days. Uh, and starting off brand new with Whittle, um, I was able to make some inroads in, in that respect. It helped being involved with the removal industry, with the British Association of Removers, with whom I've been heavily involved with with Bullens, and that gave me a bit of a kickstart as well. Uh, so I counted that very important, very helpful. And if you could change anything from your past within the industry, what would it be? I would... Um, it would not be an awful lot, really, because, and I'll explain why, that might sound a little bit odd uh, to come up with that sort of response. But when you're at a junior level, you are subject to the change that's being put in by one's superiors and one's bosses and the companies uh, that you're working for. So uh, the, the changes are being um, applied from above and you, as an employee, go along with those changes. It was only really when I start when I got down to um, involvement with Whittles, and therefore my last twelve years in the industry, that I had full reign to do things my way, the way I I thought they should go. And what would I change there? Well, I suppose some of my staff selections didn't prove to be particularly good, and and, and individuals that I thought. Uh, would do a good job for me actually let me down uh, and cost me money as well at the same time that I found very disappointing I did give people it was my management style I gave people quite a lot of rope but I laid down the parameters through which they could operate and uh, some of them sort of exceeded that and went off and uh, were a little bit lazy let's put it that way so I suppose I would change some of the appointments that I made. And what is your high point of working within the industry? Well, the high point, undoubtedly, and I'm going to cheat here, Colin, I'm going to list five of them, if I may. <laughs> Go for it. Rather than singular. The high point, undoubtedly, was being made president of the British Association of Removers. That, in 2005, really was the pinnacle. I enjoyed my role in, in that job very much indeed. So that was number one. Three years after that, I was given an honorary life membership of the association. 
So that was certainly a high point number two. Uh, high point number three was also being given an honorary life membership of the Commercial Moving Group. That was the first time anybody within that group had been appointed as an honorary life member. So I feel particularly privileged that I've been number one in, in, in that regard. Number four was moving the BAR head office out of North Harrow to Watford back in 2005. That was happening during my presidency. That was just a coincidence in a way that the purchase of Watford had been made during that time. And I tell you what, Colin, I was absolutely damn certain that no other removal company was going to get that job <laughs> when I was president. Good on you. Okay. So I not only did it, and did it well, obviously, but I did it free of charge. So it didn't cost the association a penny. Wow. Too generous, David. Too generous. And actually, I did a costing afterwards to see what it, it had cost me. It cost me round about £5,000. Wow. Right. So I took that on, on the chin. But I was, I was pleased to do so because it gave me quite a bit of street cred, the fact that I'd uh, shifted BAR's head office, both within the industry and outside. So obviously marketed that as much as I possibly could when I was talking to the, the marketplace. So that was a high point. And then the, the, the last high point, I mean, I've come up with four there that are BAR associated, but undoubtedly in business, my high point was starting and making a success of my own division in commercial moving with Whittle Movers. To come into that situation, having left Bullens at the age of 52, and starting something brand new, and taking it from a position of absolutely nothing whatsoever, apart from having a car, a desk, a chair, a filing cabinet, uh, one or two customers that I, were, I was aware of from my Bullens days, and a brain, uh, starting off from absolutely zero, and leaving it in 2008, that's 12 years down the line, as a very healthy commercial player with um, three branches, Preston, the Midlands and down south, and a group turnover of £3 million, I think, without being big-headed, was no mean achievement. I didn't do it all on my own, obviously. I was the, the, the man who headed the division, and I set the policy, and I set the rules. I appointed staff, moved things along, and some of the right people who did join me and stayed with me were good players, and they helped me to, to really move it along. So that was a high point in, in business to do that over a 12-year stint. What one thing would you change within the industry as a whole? I think the one thing I would change if I was able to do so would be the perception that is held by the general public of the removal industry. That perception has been created over a long period of time. It has that enduring image of cloth cap, of smock, a sort of a primitive sort of organisation. Uh, and that has been perpetuated by the media with various programmes on TV and sadly perpetuated by the industry itself. How can we improve perception then, David? Any ideas? I think people who are in the industry, um, and it's a big industry, the BAR is only a small part of a large industry. And yeah. the problem is, or one of the problems is, it's so easy to get into. You don't even need a van. All you need is a couple of men who have some idea of how to lift, shift furniture. And they hire a van. They turn up with a bit of equipment and off they go. And they pretend to be removals experts. Some of them get a van and they'll put the slogans on the side of international and national movers. But that's just a facade. Of course, they're not that at all. It's that, that white van man, um, or man and van image that is still around. And um, I can't see how that's going to shift in the short or even medium term, apart from legislation. 
what form that has got to take to bring it to a certain level that eliminates uh, or reduces the effect of the white van man, I don't know. And there's a, it's almost bizarre in a way in that one's got to be careful here because those, uh, some of the, the big players in, in removals are where they are now because they were once white van man. We all have to start from somewhere. Everybody has to start from somewhere. So you've got to be very careful that you don't suddenly say, well, you know, I did it, but um, you can't do it anymore because uh, I'm now there. Uh, I've got a nice big van or a nice big fleet and I've got the livery and I've got the certificates and I've got the accreditations. Uh, but you can't come into the field now unless you get similar. It, it, it's sort of um, contradictory, I think, in, in that respect. But I suppose in answer to your question, Legislation has got to be behind driving the profession forward. Yeah, and and like websites, um, just touching on IT for a moment, mm-hmm. websites, you know, lots of people go online to find removal companies these days. And it's so easy to have a website to portray. I was on one last year and it, it totally threw me because this website portrayed that it was a large removal company. They did commercial moves. They did shipping. Yeah. You, know, you name it, they pretty much did it. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, they had a gallery section on their website. And that really, really threw me because I did go to the gallery section. And in such a section was photographs of their vehicles. All they had was two transit vans. Mm-hmm. But their perceived perception was that obviously they were much bigger mm-hmm. than what they actually were. Now, obviously, they, they're still doing removals, and that, you know, but it's just that, again, perception. You, you can be much bigger than what you actually are. Yeah, that's true. So I, I think legislation does need to come into it to say, well, okay, you, you, know, you can be a remover, but you need to pass these certain criteria first. Uh, maybe Jeff was right in a previous episode. Maybe... You know, it should be all hire and reward should have O licenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly slick marketing um, uh, can get you uh, a, a long way. But I, I still think that legislation, be, even if it might, might be a return to the licensing, the old licensing situation, might well be a way forward. But it's got to be legislative somewhere down the line. You are now retired from the industry. 12 years, I believe. 12 years, yeah. 12 years. Yeah, I have. Do you miss the day-to-day of the industry, or are you too busy enjoying retirement with the wife, the kids, the <laughs> grandchildren? I'm still involved, Colin. That's the strange thing. It, it sort of gets hold of you and doesn't let go. Oh, I, I know that feeling. You know, when, I, when I was retiring and um, when I was a, approaching my sort of early 60s, around about 61, 62, I couldn't see myself retiring. Uh, I, I was so involved in the business. I thought I was going to go on for quite some time. But round about the age of 52, 53, 62, 63, I had a light bulb moment. It, it almost happened overnight, almost instantaneous. And I thought, David, you're coming to the end of your time in this business now. You've got to make steps and prepare to get out. And from that time on, that's the way I looked at things, that I was going to get out at the age of 65. When I reached the age of 65, on that particular day, I would resign as a director from the Whittle Group and step back. Now, I was able to do it gently in a way, because whilst I was going to quit the business involvement, I still retained my interest in and involvement with the BAR. I was an honorary life member anyway of of the association. I could continue uh, with my links with the area, the Northwest area, with which I've been in involved right from the very start, with the commercial moving group as well, of course, uh, which I continued with. And having finished with business, I was able then to take on a position as a judge of the commercial moving year competition. So when I was cutting myself off from business, I wasn't cutting myself off from the profession as such. So I was gently, as it were, either letting myself down or being let down by the association. So, But I still found time for other activities. I have to, to give credit to my wife here because she has been with me right from the very start all the way through and absolutely wonderfully supportive 
and she was also retiring when I was retiring from her job in a, a, an old folks' home in Preston. Perhaps I should have gone into that old folks' home. Who knows? Uh, but, <laughs> but, but she was retiring as well. <laughs> and, and when she retired, and I retired at the same time, she said, hang on, David, you told me you were going to retire. You've not retired. <laughs> I'm retiring from my business. We're going to spend more time together with the kids and the grandkids, etc., etc. You've not done that. And <laughs> I, I said, well, look, love, you know, I, I'm actually doing this for your benefit because if I did retire completely, I would be like a bear with a sore head. You wouldn't really not want to live with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got around it that way. But I have found time for, obviously, kids, grandkids, golf, gardening, a bit of walking following my beloved Preston North End. So, I, I, you know, there's been other activities there as well, but I have to pay uh, due respect to my beloved and make sure that um, I think of her with whatever we do, and we do quite a few things together anyway. So you have been involved with the BAR in various capacities over the years, and I guess the pinnacle of which must have been becoming president in 2005. Yes, it was. What does it take to become the president, and what did your role involve? What it takes, basically, Colin, is to get involved. Let's go back to those early days when I first became aware of the BAR, having taken up a position with Bullens as a manager in the Northwest Area Depot at um, Newton Willows. And I found out that the company, Bullens, was involved with this organisation called the BAR. And I phoned up my then boss, Aubrey Appleton, and um, asked what it was all about and should I get involved. And he said, David, you should do so because you'll meet an awful lot of good people and um, it'll do you tremendous, tremendous good as you uh, develop your role. Although you're a commercial mover, you'll find out more about domestic moving and that will be uh, of great value to you. So I went along to my first meeting and that first meeting was attended by about 50 of the worthies in the BAR. The Northwest area was a very strong area at that time, has been traditionally for a long time. And in fact, when I joined, I think it had been responsible for providing the BAR with four precedents over a period of about 20, 25 years, which is quite a record. So I was sat in a room there of 50 worthies, mostly domestic movers. You had the um, Masons of this world, the Maxteads of this world, Pickfords, Johnsons, um, Robinsons, Whites. Uh, a lot of the big players were represented there, and, and I'm sat there and listening to what's going on. And I thought at the end, it may not be my field, but I want to know more about it. So I carried on going to the area meetings. And I carried on going to the area meetings, and I got to know people, and they got to know me until the day came when the then representative on the National Council for the area, that was Paul Farhey. You know Paul Fay or Paul Farhey? I do know Paul, great yes. Great guy, great guy. Said, David, he said, I'm, I'm quitting my role as the representative of the Northwest area. Would you consider taking it over? And I said, yes, I would. In fact, I'll, I'll do it. I think I'd got to know more about the area and what it expected of its representative through attending regularly all the meetings. So I took on the role and, and um, I was in that position, would you believe, for 13 years, representing the Northwest area on that National Council. And obviously, I carried on attending the area. In 1990, the Commercial Moving Group was formed and I thought, hang on, this is right up my street, so I've got to get involved here. So I put my name forward for the council of the CMG, became a council member in 1993 became chairman of that council in due course. Well, by the way, I also was given the chairmanship of the Northwest area at an appropriate time. So you can see I was starting to get involved then with, with the BAR and its different activities and in different capacities. Chairman of the National Council, chairman of the Commercial Moving Group. That then led to my being noticed by the people on the board, the then Board of Management, at the BAR as someone who, you know, wanted to get more and more involved and commit to the BAR. And then I was approached by John Court, who was then the sort of kingmaker in the BAR, to put my name forward for the presidency of the BAR. 
and I said, John, thank you for the invitation, but I'm sorry, I, I can't take this on at the moment. David, why not? He said, well, I said, John, I've only been with Whittles now a few years and I'm still building up the division and to take on the role of president and all the time that would be expected of that, that role and continue to develop my own division would be too much. So thank you. But um, at this particular time, I'll have to say no. And I put the phone down and I thought, crumbs, David, have you blown it here? <laughs> they give you a second chance, but they did. They came back and asked again. And at that time, I could say, yes, I can do it because my division had grown to such an extent that I had staff around me that could keep it going, ticking, well, not just ticking over, but growing it. Well, I took over the BAR role. The, the BAR role then as president was a, a far greater role than exists now because, of course, the BAR has a director general. In my day, it had a general secretary and a board of management rather than a board of directors. Uh, and that situation was entirely different from pertains now. And the president was probably 40%, I reckoned, of my time was spent on presidential matters and BAR matters. We're only leaving 60% for uh, for, for Whittles. So um, it, it really was very demanding, but um, I enjoyed it. it. It led me to uh, going to conferences to the BAR, a FEDIMAC conference in Dublin, a American Moving Association conference in Florida. So I got to know movers from Europe and from America. And of course, as president, you go around the areas. It also gave me the chance to get to know the overseas group a little bit more. I knew very little about them, although, of course, there were some big, big players in the overseas group. But I attended their council meetings and got to know the, the big people in, in, in that particular uh, functional group. So I, I suppose the answer would be, as I said right at the very start, you, I got involved. And, and um, by getting involved, uh, I got to know a heck of a lot about the association. So in 2008, yeah. you were made Honorary Life Member of the BAR. Correct, I was, yes. How does one go about earning that honour? I think the best way to describe that one, Colin, is reading out from the, um, the citation uh, which was contained on the certificate I was given, which is quite simply, the Board of Management of the British Association of Removers is pleased to award David Bunting Honorary Life Membership of the Association in recognition and grateful appreciation of his contribution to the BAR through his many years dedicated service, loyalty and support given to the Northwest area, the Commercial Moving Group, as president in 2005-06 and the association in general. So that's the, the, the citation that was presented to me and I suppose that really sums it up. I got involved in the BAR as much as I possibly could. In 2003, you were awarded Commercial Mover of the Year with Whittle Movers. Yes. And you have been a judge of the, of the competition since 2008. Right. Only allowing Nigel Shaw of Specialised Movers <laughs> to win it once and he's most upset. <laughs> what is involved in the judging of such a competition and how fine are the margins between the finalists? Right. Well, I need to backtrack there, Colin, as, uh, inevitably. Whilst I was in the association and and, um, and winning the award myself, I could not take on a judging role then. It would be contradictory. I couldn't be a judge whilst I was an entrant of the competition, and rightly so. So I didn't take on the judging role until 2008 when I had retired fully from my involvement with Whittles and stepping down from that role. So that gave me the opportunity then to take on that judging role. And, and fortunately, in the main, I was respected by the council as being someone who would be seen to be and to be seen to be totally impartial. Apart from one individual, no names, no pack drill, who challenged my appointment as a judge and reckoned that because I was a judge, he would not enter the competition because I would be biased. That comment he made upset me greatly because I'm not that sort of guy. I was quite able to be impartial. In fact, although he said he would not enter the competition, somebody else entered his company in that competition, allegedly behind his back. I don't know if that was the case. And believe it or not, 
The next year, his company won the award of Commercial Mover of the Year. So that sort of blew his argument totally out of the water that uh, he thought that I would be uh, a biased judge. Funnily enough, he's never apologised for that comment since, uh, which is so sad because when I was judging in that competition, and as I do and have done right for the last 12 years, I don't judge the individuals who run the company. I judge the company in total because the way it, it's uh, structured is, is quite simply this. It has gone through several transformations over the the period of time that it's existed since um, since those early days. And uh, its current structure is that each entrant submits the names of six clients of what they consider to be their best moves in a particular period of time, which is generally a calendar year. And those moves are distributed between three judges. Each judge gets two cases to um, follow up. And that follow up means a telephone conversation with those clients of the remover to find out exactly what happened in those moves. And it's almost a cat and mouse sort of game in that the mover submits their six best cases, rightly so, and it's up to us as judges to get under the surface of those moves and find out exactly what has gone on. We then allocate marks against a variety of disciplines right from the start to finish of, a, of an operation. And those marks are out of 100 per case study. So three judges, two cases each, multiplied by 100, gives a total number of marks of 600. And you'll see there, Colin, that um, when there are that many marks at stake and three judges operating, unless all three judges are seeing things from almost similar perspectives, although the judges don't consult during the judge's process, unless they come up with the same sort of results and awarding high marks, it's almost impossible, or it is impossible, for one judge to have that level of effect on uh, on the competition. And so when you say uh, that Nigel Shaw is a little bit upset that I, I blocked, uh, it, it certainly isn't that way. It can't be that way. And he knows darn well it isn't that way. And maybe the day... He, he just wants more awards to put on his wall. That's all he wants. <laughs> he's got 10 already, has he? I think that's, <laughs> that's quite enough. Well, his last one was 2012, I think, when he won it, 2012. I, I, I still think he, he uses that in his marketing material as a, a, a proud does, winner yes. of the commercial move the move of the year. And everybody should use it. Everybody should be proud of, of winning. You know, the commercial mover of the year, domestic mover of the year, uh, you know, overseas mover yeah. of the year. Everybody should be proud. They should market the of hell out of it. Yeah, you know, it's it's a, it's one hell of an achievement. Yeah, which you're right. I, I take it this takes up an awful lot of your time then. Well, judging, I've, I've I've now finished. Um, Twelve years is, I think, quite enough. Uh, I thought it was time there for, to step back a little bit. Um, Partly because I hadn't been terribly well. There were some health issues at stake. And I thought, well, maybe this is giving me a chance to step back. And it was also time to let somebody else have a go and and, um, and, and do it. Although, believe you me, Colin, I really have enjoyed that judging and talking to the customers and finding out as what's been going on. The standard has certainly been rising year on year. And, and the commercial movers who even enter can be very proud of the way that they've conducted their business with their customers. The marks are getting higher every time. The margins, as you alluded to before, are extremely fine. And um, it can only take just a few marks either way uh, to swing it. So the, the three finalists, they go forward for further judging with the QSS, the Quality Service Standards Organization fully on subsidiary of the BAR, and they go through a judging process by the QSS inspectors, and the QSS inspectors award marks out of 50. So the top three whose marks are the best top marks out of the 600 marks available, then go forward and have another 50 marks at QSS's disposal for award, and then the winner comes out of those top three and, and then become the overall winner of the commercial mover of the year competition, and deservedly so. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. What advice would you give to a young David Bunting just starting out in the industry? Get involved. Whatever you do, get involved. It was possibly more difficult in my days because you had to be really involved with a BAR company to make any progress. But now there is a special category being uh, set up by the BAR of individual membership. So you can get involved. An individual working for a non-BAR company can become an individual member and take an awful lot of the privileges that um, BAR members enjoy. You can attend area meetings. You can attend conferences. You can attend training classes. So that's a, a tremendous change, which I, I've been fully in favour of, and, and uh, I, I support that initiative. It's great. So certainly, I would say definitely get involved. And you can do that through that individual membership and attend the area meetings and get to know people, attend training courses, let them get to know you. And you can ask advice, which is always available, funnily enough, even from your competitors, because it's a funny sort of industry. Competitors are quite uh, willing to point you on the right road and give you advice. And of course, there's a fund of advice available at uh, head office at Watford. So in BAR terms uh, or in removal terms generally, that's what I would say. Seek advice, get involved. Uh, don't be afraid to ask and accept responsibility. If, it, if there's a position available within an area, uh, at the moment we're operating in virtual area meeting days, but when those are over and the meetings get back to normal, there will undoubtedly be vacancies for a vice chairman, a vice and assistant secretary, a vice treasurer, maybe a representative on the National Council, uh, as happened to me. So there are roles that can be taken and assist in your own development. But that apart, um, what I would say is this. If you're going to do something, do it to the very best of your ability. Whatever you do, do it to the very best of your ability. And whatever you say you'll do, do it. I think those two pieces of advice apply right across the board. It's certainly advice that I've always given myself and applied myself that way around. President Kennedy, the United States, used to say to the American people, don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask instead what you can do for your country. And you can transpose that into BAR speak. Don't ask what the BAR can do for you. Ask what you instead can do for the BAR. And um, above all, I would suggest value integrity. Make sure that you're the sort of person who can command some respect and is noted for being trustworthy and reliable. I've tried to do my best that way and um, valued my own integrity, which is, I think, seen by those who work with me as, as being part of my makeup. And therefore, I would say to any aspiring mover, do exactly the same. Value integrity. You'll be noted for what you do. You will make progress. So I think that sums it up, Colin, really. Well, you most definitely have. You are a true gentleman of this industry. Uh, and I, I am so privileged to have you on the podcast. I absolutely am. So I thank you for that. I agree with you. You, are, you, you know, as people say, you only get out what you put in. Um, if you're not prepared to put anything in to the BAR, the area meetings, that sort of thing, then you're not really going to get mm -hmm. much out of it. Individual bar membership. I've actually had that for many years. I would recommend that to anybody that doesn't have bar membership. It is the fastest invoice I pay. Uh, <laughs> as soon as that invoice arrives, that payment is sent immediately. It's down tools, pay it. I couldn't be without my, my, my magazine and my, you know, being able to attend uh, area meetings and conferences. So I, I would definitely, I would definitely get involved mm. with that. <laughs> Where do you see the industry in the next five years? Now, I know you've been retired for 12, but you're still involved in it. Do you see any changes in the industry at all? There's going to be changes, Colin, inevitably, because we're coming out of the European involvement. Brexit will kick in, really start to kick in as and from the beginning of next year. What form that will take in terms of its effect on 
our relationship with Europe and legislation with respect to our own businesses and our own industry? We don't know. But undoubtedly, over the next few years, and maybe five years is about the right length of time, there's going to be an effect on British business and British industry and the removal sector as well. So whilst I'd like to speculate it's a bit difficult to do so because we don't know how the European marketplace is going to be acceptive of us and the worldwide marketplace as well because that's got to change and adapt to our new situation. So I think I would just hesitate to um, come up with anything positive there, Colin, apart from saying, watch this space, really. I think that's all we can do with Brexit. So what does a retired remover do to switch off now that you've left the industry? What what are your interests? You touched on them briefly uh, you know, 20, 30 mm-hmm. minutes ago. Uh, but remind us, what are you, what are, what does David do David to switch off? David doesn't switch off, Colin. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? It, 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 it won't happen. If I've got an honorary life membership of the BAR and honorary life membership of the CMG, I've got no chance of switching off. And I don't want to. But I don't want to because... <laughs> I've made a lot of friends in this industry and I love going to conferences. I love going to the area meetings. So that will always be a part of, of me. Good. We don't want you to switch <laughs> off. Nobody wants you to switch off. We always want David at the area meetings and at the well, conferences. I, I hope they still want me around as well. But uh, obviously golf, um, I'm not a very good golfer. I did win the BAR golf competition a couple of times, but those were in the days when I it was fairly useful at the game, but uh, that's not the case now. But I, I do I enjoy playing with my son, or my sons, uh, plural. They, they're both good golfers, far better than me now, I'm afraid. And they're very condescending and, and pat me on the head and say, come on, Dad, you can do better than that. But I can't, I'm afraid. I've reached my limit. So golf, gardening, I enjoy gardening. My wife and I enjoy seeing and uh, spending time with our kids and our grandkids. Not easy at the moment, of course, with the um, the COVID situation, uh, and that's very, very frustrating. But that will one day be over, and we'll get back to normal. Preston North End is um, a great interest of mine. Which, by the way, I have to bring it back up. Um, Nigel wants a wager on this. Nigel still reckons that Sheffield Wednesday, even with their points deduction, is going to finish higher than Preston North End, and he wants a wager on it. So I'll let you two sort that one out. <laughs> Nigel can have that wager. But whether, <laughs> whether he will honour it, Colin, I, it remains to be seen. He'll come out, come up with an excuse at the end of the day. Why Preston? Another excuse that will be, apart from the 12-point deduction, Preston will finish ahead of Sheffield Wednesday. That is no doubt. But he'll come up <laughs> with some reason why he should not cough up that tenor. And finally, I'd like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Ooh, right. Do you have one or more to tell? <sighs> I think I've got a couple, Colin, in that respect. Humour is a, I'm going to say humour is a funny thing. Of course it is. Humour is a, a peculiar thing. And uh, to the likes of, of my good friend, Gary Wheaton, he supports, as you know, Brentford. He does, yes. Three or four years ago, um, Brentford beat Preston North End 5-0 down at Griffin Park. Now, to Gary, that was a source of great amusement, beating Preston 5-0. To me, it wasn't a source of amusement at all. It it was a a terrible occurrence. So humour is very much in the eye of the beholder. And one man's meat is another man's poison, as they say. So he often comes up with that particular story. And we we have wages, we have bets. And after each um, match on a Saturday, we exchange emails dependent on the result. One of us is happy and the other one is sad unless it's a draw. So story-wise, I suppose it, it happens the same way. I mean, I have come across instances where people have been stuck in lifts. <laughs> now, to the person stuck in the lift, it's not a very amusing situation. To me, outside the lift, it is rather funny. <laughs> so one's got to be very careful uh, about humour. But um, I'll give you a couple of a couple of instances which I don't think... Uh, would really cause offence. Um, one business and one involving an individual. In business, uh, one of my uh, good customers was a company based in Cheshire called Northwest Securities. 
and they had finance houses opening all over the country. And um, to do that, they contracted my services to take furniture down as they opened up a new office. And they did this in, say, places all over the country. But this particular one was in Plymouth, which is a long way from Cheshire. So I got the inventory off the client as to what had to go down there. I picked up the furniture from his office where he had a large warehouse and sort of a surplus furniture uh, stock. And, and we took furniture down that he had nominated and installed it in the Plymouth office. Now, two or three years later, it wasn't quite working out and they were not making any money out of that facility. They therefore decided to close it. So I got the call off my contact and said, David, he said, um, I want you to go down and pull that furniture out of Plymouth because it's not working out. I said, OK, Chris, I'll do that with pleasure. Would you like me to go down to the Plymouth office and check it out to make sure I put in the right size van? No, no, David, there's no point. There's no need to do that. You know what van you used on the way down. There's been no changes to the furniture. Just pick it up and bring it back. OK, Chris, are you sure? Yeah, quite sure. Don't need to, to bother to go down. So it was all set up that way. I sent a van down there. Nine o'clock in the morning, I get a call from the driver. David, I can't fit the furniture on the van. Really? Why not? Well, I don't know, he said, but I can't fit the furniture on the van. So I got back onto my customer and I said, we can't fit the furniture on, Chris. There's too much of it. What do you mean there's too much of it? I said, oh, that's the that's the fact. You better get onto your office manager and find out what's been going on. Well, to cut a long story short, what had been going on is quite simply this. That when they'd opened the office down there, the manager had also bought furniture locally because the office was expanding and he was taking on staff. So he'd bought furniture of desks, chairs, filing cabinets down there, but had not bothered to tell his head office of what he'd done. So, <laughs> Chris, I said, uh, when he eventually found out, I said, well, I did offer to go down and check it out for you, Chris. It's now going to cost you double what you paid because, I, you know, it's another wagon. In fact, it'll cost you more than double because I need a bigger van to go down there and pick up the furniture and bring it all back. So that was a salutary lesson for a customer. Um, so <laughs> so, th so that, yeah, I, I found that amusing because I made some money out of it, a lot of money out of it. <laughs> so that was good. But on a, a, a personal one, you know Terry Fleetwood. Lots I of do. people know Terry Fleetwood. He's a character. Of that, there is no doubt. The boss of Whittles got a group of um, people together, which included his, his directors, and that included me, and a couple of friends to go on a golf tour to Ireland. Now, these golf tours, there were two of them, actually. And this particular one I'm going to refer to involved, as the other one did as well, actually, the consumption of Guinness, the eating of some excellent food in Ireland, and playing golf. In that order, probably. <laughs> so... The eight of us, or eight of us involved, uh, set off in cars from Preston, boarded the ferry at Hollyhead, went over to Dunleary, and embarked on the golf tour. Now, the idea was, at the end of the tour, we would repair back to Dunleary, to a hotel there, on the night, the last night that we were having it in Ireland, and then we would board the ferry at about half past nine, ten o'clock the next morning, to come back to Hollyhead, and then go home so we're back in the hotel on that last night uh, we've had a good meal outside of the hotel we've come back to the hotel late on there's a good bar in the hotel terry is there with his card tricks pretty good at card tricks is terry synonymous for his card tricks he finds himself an, an audience in the hotel there's a party of irish lads there who also have had a golf tour and they're coming back to the hotel so terry sort of is flashing the cards to our group and the group of the Irish lads are looking what's going on. They become interested. So, of course, Terry's rubbing his hands together. He's got some uh, he's got some other people to impress here. So he leaves our group and he, he gets himself ensconced with the Irish lads and he's flashing the card tricks. Now, this is about midnight or just after midnight when this is getting underway, right? I was off to bed. It was getting late and I knew we had to get up early in the morning to catch the boat. And the other directors uh, also did the same. So Terry was left on his own. Now, 
Terry was um, rooming with what with a guy called Tony Williams, um, who was the finance director. In the morning, Tony Williams is getting up. He set the alarm for half past seven, and he's getting up, and he realizes that Terry is not in the room. <laughs> so as he's getting ready, the room door opens, and in comes Terry. He's been in the bar all night with the Irish lads, impressing them with his card tricks, and he's just coming to bed at half past seven in the morning, and we're catching the ferry at half past nine. You can imagine. <laughs> David, that doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't surprise me, because I've been to a conference before with Terry, and we have stopped drinking uh-huh. as the attendees are coming for breakfast. And it's yeah. Once you get once you get involved with that guy, you you lose all track of time. <laughs> yeah. So 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 Terry Terry only has time for a quick wash and brush up. I don't think he even had breakfast in the hotel. Uh, just had time to get down to meet to get to the ferry, and get on that sailing. He was very quiet on the boat going back. Extremely quiet on the boat. We didn't we didn't never heard a peep out of him. So he got himself a sandwich or two on the boat. And that was it. What he said to his wife when he eventually got home, the long-suffering Karen, I do not know. <laughs> I'm surprised he even got on the boat. <laughs> well, we were, we were surprised, but he, he, he just about made it. So that's the amusing personal story, and that was amusing as well. But, but uh, just, typ- just typical of Terry. Yeah. David, I sincerely thank you for your time today. It's been absolutely fantastic to be given this opportunity, one that I know our listeners will appreciate. Thank you once again for giving up your time today. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Colin. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the opportunity to to spout on at length. And uh, I really enjoyed talking with you. I've enjoyed the questions. I hope some people somewhere down the line get some benefit from it. I'm sure they will. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 7 of Moving Matters. If you did, then please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters, which they can listen along to on their podcast player of choice. And please, if you can, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes. Many thanks to those that have. My thanks and appreciation go to David Bunting for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, David. And please... If you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners, do reach out to me. Don't be shy now. I want your story told. So please complete the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Tweet me at movingmatterspc or email me, host at movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving.